Welcome to the RYR Endurance Team Podcast. We are grateful that you've chosen to tune in and listen. If you are a runner, aspiring runner, triathlete, or aspiring triathlete, you are in the right place. We love sharing what we know about these sports. If you like what you hear, you can always learn more by contacting us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or by visiting our website, ryrenduranceteam.com. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening. Well, good afternoon, Coach Paula. Good afternoon from Bellevue, Washington. We're still here. The race went off without a hitch. Yeah. And let me just tell you, when we came back to the room today, we've been living in that hotel room. It did smell pretty bad. So we emptied the three trash cans that we've been filling up since Wednesday night. And I think it's starting to become a little bit more breathable in there. Yeah, they asked when we checked in if we wanted regular cleaning services or just towels and trash every other day. I said towels and trash every other day would be fine. But then we kept the do not disturb sign on the whole time we were here. Oh, well, that would explain why every other day has been never. So we took care of our own trash today, and our friends got us extra towels yesterday. Speaking of our friends, I'm super excited that we are being joined on the RYR Endurance Team podcast today by our super good friends, Lee and Suzanne Anderson, who also ran the Jack and Jill race today. In fact... I kind of crashed their party. They had signed up for the Idaho Jack and Jill a couple of years ago. No. um, You did both, but we decided on this one. Actually, I'm pretty sure this was an option to deferring Chicago. Okay. I knew it was a deferral race. Yeah. I think this was... It was either Chicago... I'm pretty sure it was Chicago. Instead of getting our... They wouldn't give me my money back so we could defer to this race. And I think I deferred, we deferred to this race. No, okay. that can't be right because Lee wasn't signed up to run Chicago for you. For some reason, I thought you guys had signed up for the Idaho race in 2020 and it was canceled or went virtual, but they gave you the option to either do it later or defer. But anyway, you all were in some race that didn't go off in 2020. Deferred, deferred this to this race to Jack yes. and Jill, and after Boston, I got a wild hair and decided I wanted to tag along with you guys, and um, so we just continued training together. I mostly did it because I wanted to keep training with you because you're so much fun. <laughs> Feelings mutual. <laughs> yeah. So we've been. Uh, this is both of our third marathons this year. We did the Mesa Marathon. And then we did the Boston Marathon. Mm, yeah. And then today we did Jack and Jill Marathon, which we're going to focus on that here in a little bit. We uh, like to give our listeners race recaps, mostly because if they're interested in ever doing the race, we like to provide information on it and then just kind of share experiences and takeaways from the race. And Lee, this is your second marathon this year? Mm-hmm. Mesa in this one. Yep. So he ran Mesa and he ran today. And Coach Dean, Sherpa extraordinaire for all three of them. This was my second time to be Sherpa and cheerleader at this location. And 
it was still a little bit challenging. It's always difficult being the the fan, trying to navigate around the course. Yes. But, but this was certainly a beautiful course to be navigating around. I enjoyed it. I really liked our surprise visit. We were only expecting you at 11 and 21. At least I was only expecting you at 11 and 21. And then, lo and behold, there you are at 17. Kind of got me over the hump. Well, I'm glad to help. see a familiar face. I was able to get a few pictures. I didn't get a picture of the ladies at mile 11 because I was handing off bottles, but I was able to get a picture of Lee because he was self-sufficient. He was self-sufficient and way ahead of us at that point. <laughs> I was feeling pretty good early, so I thought I'd take advantage of it and yeah. try to get some good miles in early. Now, it may have came back to haunt me in the end, I don't know, but... Uh, didn't finish nearly as good as I'd hoped. Yeah, I haven't looked at the numbers, but I think Suzanne ran her second half faster than her first half today, or at least very close, because my data shows I went through the half at 158, which would have put me at a, what, a 356, and she and we were together at that point, and she finished in 355-something, so it was either a negative split or... Very close to an even split. Do you have that information? When I saw Suzanne coming into the finish, she was almost in a sprint. She was on a mission. Yes. Mm-hmm. Chasing somebody down. Well, I chased her down and I caught her and I beat her at the end. But then I didn't realize, for you beginner runners, and I'm not a beginner runner, so I don't know what happened. There are two mats that you have to cross at this race. So I did not go across both mats. So when I stopped in between the mats, the girl passed me. So ended up beating me in the end. And I went through the finish slow enough to know that there were three mats. The one that didn't count, and then the two that if the first one didn't catch you, the second one would. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that first mat, I assumed I was at the finish too, which I kept going because I thought, well, there might be somebody flying in behind me. But the mat that was actually underneath of the big, what do you call those things? I mean, it was a finish line banner, banner. or something, but yeah. it was huge blow-up deal. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I, we're already talking about the finish, but I thought it was really cool at the finish that they had flags representing the location of all the participants. Oh, I didn't realize that. So, the Commonwealth of Kentucky flag was flying high, at the finish line. I did not know that. I was just I took happy. a picture of it. I was just happy at the finish. Last time we ran this race, Suzanne and Bethany and I ran it in July of 2019. The Finnish flags that are on, like, the race flags that are on each side of the course, I couldn't stay out of them. Like, I was leaning so far left that I was rubbing those flags. So, but today, I was able to navigate the middle of the finish line pretty well. Mm-hmm. So... I guess we'll talk a little bit about the course itself before we get into maybe the specifics of each of our races and jump in anytime you want. But the thing that is appealing about this race is it's a pretty good Boston qualifier. And I know if you look on social media sites, there's a lot of people who post that, oh, it's a downhill race, that's cheating to qualify for Boston, blah, blah, blah. But in all honesty, we live in an area that is very flat. And where there are hilly sections that we have access to, it's pretty short hills. So there's nowhere for us to train even 
three miles at a time downhill. Now, Coach Dean, he did find a hill that's similar in grade to the Jack and Jill, but it's a little bit less than a mile long if you go to the very tip, tip top of it and all the way down. So in our training, I don't know how many times you had us running up and down. It was a lot of times. We were very diligent to do the ups and downs. I would look and at first it was 400 meters up, 400 meters down. Then it was a half mile up, half mile down. And then it was a mile up and a mile down, which the mile up was fine, but the mile down we had to go up toward mm-hmm. another street, so there was an incline in the mile down. But I don't know how many times we did it, but it was always just super, super sweet when we saw <laughs> we were going to be running Huck's Hill 16 times or something. So, <laughs> so the race started at Hayak Parking Lot, if I said that right, H-Y-A-K. And it's on, according to Google Maps, it's on the Iron Horse Trail. For some reason, I thought it was the John Wayne Trail, but Iron Horse Trail. Yeah, so we'll take a tangent already. So Lee and Suzanne and I, you you worked remotely while we've been out here. So Lee, Suzanne and I go out to the race start because Lee hasn't run it before. And we wanted to make sure he saw the tunnel. And I wanted to see the tunnel again, too, to re-familiarize myself. And I'm sure Suzanne felt the same. But the pin that we had from the race did not take us to the trail. And so I'm back there Googling John Wayne Trail because he would tell me it was John Wayne, John Wayne Tunnel. And anyway, I think Suzanne finally found it because she actually Googled it. We ended up calling Dean and we he took us how to get there. Yeah, we called Dean and I think Suzanne had kind of found it too. She had Googled the Snoqualmie Tunnel, which got us there. So what's the name of the trail? Iron Horse trail. Iron Horse. John Wayne, Iron Horse. Mm-hmm. What's John Wayne's horse name? I don't know. <laughs> Iron Horse would be for the train, I'm sure. That's what they used to call train. Yeah. Iron Horse. Yes. So this course is a gradual downhill for 26.2 miles. Around mile seven or eight, there's a very brief climb. I'm very brief, like less than less than a tenth of a mile probably. And then there's a few places where it plateaus and levels off, but it's mostly gradually downhill the whole way. And as Lee was saying, it used to be a railway in the tunnel, which is, how long is that tunnel? 2.3. 2.3 miles, wow. That's a long tunnel. Mm-hmm. Completely black, no lights on the inside, so you had to have your own lighting. Yeah, I think I was driving... Lee and Suzanne crazy the day before when we ran through the tunnel on the way back they turned their lights off because I was wearing your I don't know how many lumens your waist light has but it was lighting up the tunnel and I kept covering it up and Suzanne thought it would kill me <laughs> why were like, you covering it up I just want to see how black it was <laughs> oh, okay <laughs> and then I started pointing it toward the ceiling thinking I wonder if there's bats in here. And then I got to thinking, I wonder if I even want to know. So in reality, she was playing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and just throw this comment in there. I'm glad we did that because it really made it easier getting through the tunnel today because I knew what to expect. So if you get a chance to prepare for something like that, I think you should take advantage of it. If you... mm-hmm. I saw a sign this morning as I was waiting for you all to start that said that the tunnel is closed from November the 1st to May 1st. So if you're going to practice with the tunnel, 
You have to avoid that time of the year. Did they say why it's closed? I'm guessing that the bears hibernate in there. What I'm wondering. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what I'm wondering is because, first of all, and I think we mentioned this on the last podcast, is Seattle, which Snoqualmie is really a suburb of Seattle. Yeah. Has, it's in the Seattle area. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes. So, typically, it rains a lot in Seattle, but they're in a dry, hot, like record-breaking, it's been since World War Two hot here. <laughs> and so it's been dry, and yet the tunnel is still leaking water. And, and all so, the, um, all the, any type of place that we ran by, you could hear rushing water. The waterfalls were full, the creeks were full, so there's still snow on the, the mountaintop melting. Yeah, so I'm wondering, I don't know if between those months, if there's so much snow that there's just too much water and too much risk. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. But hey, the bear hibernation theory, hadn't really thought of that. You just never know. Yeah, you don't ever know. But anyway, it's a beautiful course. Uh, The bridges that you go over... You really don't want to be afraid of heights because, I mean, you can just see for, I mean, I don't know how high the drops are, but it's crazy. So, did you guys see anything of honorable mention today on the course? Yeah, I would slow down in particular on those places just to see. You can see a lot of creeks and and waterfalls, and it's beautiful down through there. So, And then sometimes you would just come around a corner and there it is, you know, the, just the mountain itself. I'm just glad there's no swinging bridges. That would make it, <laughs> that would make it yeah. challenging. You know, it's weird because the, the course is gravel for the most part. Mm-hmm. And it's um, like a good packed gravel in most places. And there are some bigger rocks and stones that you have to look out for. But in 2019 when we ran it, in my mind, I just remember bigger tire tracks like wheel wheel wells going through and less gravel and more growth but today I felt like I was able to go back and forth easier and run the tangents a little bit mm-hmm. easier so I don't know how you felt about the course in 2022 versus 2019. I did feel like maybe today it was or that it had been groomed before the race or maybe a week before but and maybe back when we ran it there was it did seem to be colder, and it did seem to be there be more moisture in the air. So I'm wondering if they had a heavy rain that week and maybe had washed some things out, I don't know, to make that middle area hard to cross back over. But it definitely was harder to cross back and forth. Yeah, so this morning when we started, it was in the upper 60s. And when we started in 2019, it was in the lower 40s. Yeah. So it was definitely a temperature difference. And, you know, race organizers cannot control the weather. But logistics-wise, I feel like they had plenty of porta potties Once they took the zip ties off. Yeah, I couldn't figure that out. We didn't, they said everything opened at 5 a.m. We didn't get there until... Quarter after. Quarter after 5 and. You came back from the restroom saying some of the <laughs> portalettes are still zip tied closed. But they call those honey pots. Uh, I saw that. And but it's a name brand. It's like yeah. the local market for those. So because yeah. somebody said porta potties, they said no, we call them honey buckets. Yeah, well, 
I don't know where they get the name Honey Buckets, but I'm going to tell you, at the trailhead locations that we passed, they had restrooms like you would see in national parks. And, I mean, that's when I assumed I didn't stop. Thank the Lord I didn't have to stop in any of the restrooms <laughs> on this race. Last time Lee ran a marathon with us, stopped at all of them, but zero today. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you you may or may not have taken a pit stop. You may or may not have included a honey pot. <laughs> so, but yes, the honey pots may have been better than the trailhead restaurants because as we would run past them, they looked nice on the outside. But man, did you guys get a whiff of those? So, as the spectator driving <laughs> around, I parked at several trailheads and. Never pass up a restroom. You just never know when you're going to get to the next one. They were not very nice. Yeah, they didn't smell very nice. Not very nice at all, but they were functional. So what else do we want to talk about generically about the course itself? I wanted to just comment that the trail was open to the public, and so there were people hiking, there were people riding their bikes in the opposite direction. So there was... It appeared that there was some congestion with the race participants and the public. What did you all experience? Yes, um, definitely with the bikes. I mean, we did see the hikers. They were easy to maneuver around, but the bikers were somewhat difficult and sometimes not very nice. <laughs> so. Yeah, and again, it's it's that 90-10 rule or maybe 96-4 rule. Like, there were so many nice and polite people. And then it just takes a couple of turkeys to (laughs) make the experience hard for everyone. I mean, there was a guy flying by, and uh, I thought he was going to clip Suzanne. And I said something to her, and she got over. Well, I didn't realize there were two bikes flying by. And so she was easing back over, and the second bike came by. And so she just kind of politely said, you might want to say two bikes, like, just to let them know. But I'm sure they, I'm sure it didn't come across to them as oh she's trying to be helpful but I thought she was but the ironic part of that was it was those were the security bikes those were the first aid bikes oh they were yes oh Uh wow yeah and there was one guy who was first aid that he had a bell on his bike but these two guys did not Mm -hmm. and I noticed throughout the course they would get to a certain point get off their bikes and cheer for the runners and as a matter of fact he was down at the finish both of them were at the finish too with their bikes i want to say they were officially helping the race but then now that i recall um there was a bike behind or trying to get around them and he said no you go first and the guy said no we're here just we're to support the runners so maybe they were unofficial and didn't know that they should let us know well, I do know on the lit- on the literature, they encourage spectators that they are allowed to be on bikes and to be the eyes and ears on the course, uh, just to, I guess, pick up more volunteer help. Mm-hmm. But I think the bigger issue was there were a lot of people out there who just, that's where they go every weekend and do their recreation, and we were pretty big inconvenience you could tell to some of them and of course when you're running a marathon you try your best to run the tangents and take the inside when you can when it's going to be a long curve and that type thing and when that happened to be on the left and there were bikers or runners oncoming that was an annoyance and an inconvenience to them which I I mean I understand I guess I guess I understand but 
I just feel like if I had access to that every weekend, there was a big event. Being an athlete, a runner, biker, swimmer, that type of thing, I would be respectful of the event. And it was over by noon or one o'clock, so wait till the afternoon. Mm -hmm. Felt like you needed to go up there and run. Yeah, or just, you know, a lot of them would actually pull off the course and be polite. But, you know, humankind, everybody has their personalities and I don't know people tend to take the point of view of whichever situation that they're in I know when you're driving a car you take the point of view of a automobile driver when you're riding a bike you take the point of view of a cyclist you know everybody's point of view is different just gotta all get along why can't we (laughs) (laughs) so but overall I think it was a pretty well-managed course. Because of the heat, they sent an email out, what, two days before the race. They adjusted the race start to start 30 minutes earlier. But I don't know what time it actually started. It didn't start at 6 o'clock. I think you started at 6.12. 6.12. And so the first wave may have been 6.10. Yeah, and I thought that was well-organized. The pacers were... The ones that were in the first wave were already out on the trail, and then we found kind of the pace we wanted to run, and we were off to the side because we knew we were second wave, so I thought the organization was okay. i tell you what, too. I may have to try some of that Huma hydration. It was good? Did you take any of the Huma hydration? It went down very easily. It I did. It settled with it at all. And it tasted good. Did you taste any of the Huma? Well, I've used it before. I had not. Mm-hmm. And I know you're not supposed to do anything different on race day, but I guess we can kind of transition into talking about our specific races. And one thing I'll just say, and then I'll let you guys talk about your specific races before I get much into mine. But um, normally when I'm doing a training run, and it's hot and humid where we live, and we've trained in the heat, and normally my 10-ounce uh, flip belt bottle is good for 10 miles about and I had sucked my hydration dry at mile nine and I wasn't seeing Dean until mile 11 for the bottle exchange so I took some Huma off the course in that time and then I wasn't going to see you again until mile 21 11 to 21 that's 10 miles right I was out of hydration at mile 17 so it was hot and humid because I was drinking to thirst, and normally I don't really get thirsty when I run. I have my watch set, and you wore an earbud today. Could you hear it telling you 15 minutes? It would actually um, say. I, yes, but I was, it took me a few minutes to figure out what's going on because yeah. it also beeped um, when um, um, you completed a mile, yes. too. So yes. um, it just took me a few minutes to realize. And then. <laughs> It's it is funny. I'm hearing things in my ear that I don't normally hear, mm-hmm. um, so it just kind of sh- surprised. Yeah, so I have the Garmin 245 Music, and I have Apple AirPods, and I popped in my right one and asked Suzanne if she wanted the left one. She was like, "Well, yeah, sure." And of course, I'm sure she couldn't hear it the whole way because I'm sure she got out of range there around mile 22 or so when she. Uh, running strong and I was not but yeah with the Apple watch when I with the Garmin watch when I have it paired it'll actually say 15 minutes or you know it'll tell you what it's because you have an alert set up to mm-hmm. remind you every 15 minutes mm-hmm. to yeah because, take in hydration yeah, because at home even when it's hot and humid 
I don't think about drinking. I have to be reminded. But today, I was drinking between, I wasn't waiting 15 minutes to hydrate. And how far apart were the aid stations, do you remember? Two miles. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good. First one was five miles. There was one. There was one out of the, the first one. out of the out of the tunnel. Yeah, right out of the tunnel. There was one, but it was also people that. putting their flashlights down, and so really the first one was between mile two and a half and three. And that was another thing shocking to me is when we came out of the tunnel and we got to mile three, my watch said two point nine nine, so I couldn't believe how accurate it was through the tunnel. So, which one of you want to talk about your race experience first? I don't know really what to say other than I told myself I wasn't going to go out too hard because I have a tendency to do that and then don't have anything left at the end. So um, I tried to stay with the four-hour pace group, but after we ran with them for a little while, we realized that they were running faster than what their pace would end up at four hours. So I heard their logic in that they wanted to run 30 seconds to a minute faster in between water stops to give 30 seconds to a minute to stop and drink your water and start again. So that's kind of why they were running a little bit faster. I don't know. It's just me. If I can get over the hump of um, mile 19 and 20, um, 18, 19, and 20, if I can get over that hump. A lot of people talk about the wall. That's if I had a wall to describe those three miles would be the wall for me. And if I can get over those, then mentally I can push myself to do a little bit better those last five or six miles. And I felt like that's what I did today. I rely a lot on Paula's watch to tell me when to hydrate. And so I was a little bit lost when I was by myself, so I just kind of winged it and drank every mile up until the end. And I didn't, I had some aches and pains. I don't feel like I'm dehydrated right now, but definitely it did take a toll on me. As I did notice probably towards the end that I wasn't sweating as much as I probably should have been, but I'm not dehydrated where I'm just zonked or cramping or anything like that. All in all, I felt like it was a pretty good race for me. I just, once I passed the four-hour pace group, I just knew that as long as I was in front of them, I was going to be okay, hit my goal, what I wanted to break four hours. And so I just tried to stay in front of them. And honestly, I didn't realize I was that far ahead of them because my watch wasn't working right. Like for one mile, it gave me 1121. And then the next mile, it was 1041. And so it I just, my watch malfunctioned for some reason. And I don't, I don't know if it just lost satellite signal or what. But so I was kind of on my own. I really didn't know how fast I was running. I thought Coach Dean would be really proud of me because I was running by feel and not by <laughs> my watch because I have a tendency to run by my watch. So um, all in all, I felt like it was a pretty good race. And I'm grateful for Dean's training plan because I'm comparing my quads of this race to the race in 2019. And um, right now, I can walk pretty good. I don't feel like my quads broke down as quickly as they did back before. And I um, give him the um, accolade for training on that Hux Hill that Paula mentioned 
because we did a lot of downhill training and I felt like my quads were prepared for the downhill race. Yeah, I know around mile, somewhere between mile 17 and 18, we were still together and I was just following you and I looked down and noticed our pace was around 930, which I could tell based on my body that was all my quads were going to be giving me, but I wanted to say something to you because I knew we were getting to that. We like to tease you that you're you're getting to that point where you could smell the water because I agree when she gets to mile 20, 21 and mentally she gets a big boost and uh, so I mentioned something and it probably wasn't a minute and a half later I couldn't even see her anymore she uh, picked it back up and was going a sub nine minute pace and of course a lot of our listeners don't know our ages but our Boston qualifying time is 405 and she finished in 355 and some change so got a nice Boston qualifier under your belt and another sub four hour marathon. So congratulations on an amazing day and we're just uh, super proud of you and yeah. so excited that the day went well. Even though it was super hot, like you just and you know, Lee and I both thought this all summer. It's just been amazing how strong you have been running through especially through this heat and uh, just a great job. I will say one thing that I've noticed um, that I've never done before until I started running with you all was taking a day off. I thought when I was training for a race, I had to run every single day. And I think taking those two days off at different times during the week have really helped me recover to where I can do better when we have workout days or long run days. Yeah, and your life is so busy anyway. I mean, you do a lot for your family, your kids, and your parents, and you do a lot for the community. Like, we just, I mean, she's not only just an awesome athlete, just an amazing person, if I do say so myself. <laughs> Lee's patting her going, yep, I won the lottery here. <laughs> um, but we, I mean, I've just been amazed at how strong you run. And really, starting last October is when you were able to start training again because you had taken a break from an injury. Mm-hmm. And I have COVID. And then you got COVID, and I mean, it's just, I mean, praise be to God that he gives you the strength and just a very talented and determined uh, athlete and friend. So it works in some races, not all of them. It doesn't work in all of them. You know, some days you have good races, some days not so good. And I think it was to your advantage that we ran together the first 17, 18 miles Mm -hmm. and, uh, I even said something to you early on, like, you know, don't feel like you have to wait or whatever. You're like, no, this pace feels good. And so I think you just ran a super smart race today. So kudos. Unlike Grand Rack, where we went out really yeah, fast. Yeah, you and Lee went out really fast, and, and I was super conservative. So. Mm-hmm. so now that you've learned my conservative first half, I need to learn your <laughs> smell the water last <laughs> six miles. <laughs> So the other thing I will say as far as Suzanne and probably Lee too and their quads is they live in a condominium on the third floor and it doesn't have an elevator. And I know Suzanne's up and down those steps eight to ten times a day. So yeah, I'll text Paula, well, I've done ten stairs today with groceries. Yeah, and then I'm thinking, <laughs> hmm, I've sat here and pushed Ellie in her swing all day. <laughs> like, so, but anyway. And loved every minute of it. Oh, yeah. yes. You know, we, we have to mention Ellie-Ann on just about every podcast, so we'll just leave it at that. Mm-hmm. So, how about your day, Lee? 
it started out really good. I, I felt strong. So once I got through the tunnel, I actually felt like I should pick up the pace a little bit because I was feeling so good. And I thought maybe I could put a little time in the bank. And uh, I was hydrating well. I was walking through all the water stops, making sure I got electrolytes and water each time. And um, I did slow down a few times, like I said, to, I guess, smell the roses and look at the mountains and the streams and stuff. But I don't think that really affected my overall time. But um, a couple of things I want to mention about this race specifically is, even though it is considered to be a downhill race, it is extremely gradual. So it's not downhill to the extreme that you have to be scared of because it didn't really, there was times I couldn't even tell I was going downhill. I thought I was, you know, either flat or a few occasions actually going uphill. So don't let that scare you off. And also the heat, this to, this year was an exception. You know, usually it's much cooler. And if you're going to run a marathon in the end of July, where else are you going to be able to run one and not experience extreme heat? You know, I, there's nowhere else close to where we live that we could have ran one that would have been you know, these kind of conditions, it would have been 10 to 15 degrees warmer at least. And I don't do well in the heat anyway, so that would have just destroyed me. I don't think that's what happened to me today. I didn't run the time I wanted to. I did run much better than Mesa, but I wanted to qualify for Boston, which was a 405, and ended up doing a 415, uh, well, 413. So I was a little disappointed there, but my breakdown came, unlike Suzanne, after the 20 miles. Part. I kept thinking if I can get to 22 miles and I got four miles to go, I'll get that little boost, you know, just knowing I'm getting close. I never got the boost today. It just didn't come and I just slowed down progressively after that. But overall, I was pleased with it. Glad I got to do it because, like I said, it's one of the most beautiful courses I've ever ran on. So, you know, if you don't do it for any other reason than that, it's worthwhile doing it. If you just want to run a beautiful marathon, then come out here and do this one. And then, same way with the temperature, you got better chance of getting a reasonable temperature here than you do anywhere else this time of year. So it's good for that. And it was well planned, well laid out, everything went smoothly, you know, didn't have to worry about getting drinks or bathrooms or anything like that. So overall, it was a great race, other than, you know, a little disappointed in my finish, of course. What would you say about the shade cover? Was most of the course covered by shade? It was. You know, it was probably at least 80 to 85 percent coverage and the times that you were in the sun were short-lived so you would just go through a quarter of a mile of being out in the sun and then it would shade over again so even as hot as it was you at least had the shade covered on there and there was a nice breeze blowing most of the time so i felt like the upper elevation we got some really cool spots in those canyons and the tree coverage but probably last two miles were the hottest for me. It didn't seem like that there was as much breeze or foliage coverage. So the first 20 to 21 miles, it's kind of a gradual downhill, mostly straight. And then you get to around 21 and there's some kind of a S curve that you go through. Yeah, that's when I knew my quads were like, ooh. You're, you're yeah. trading trails there. You're getting off the Iron Horse Trail and getting onto the Snoqualmie, Snoqualmie Trail. And so the, the, the elevations are different in those two trails. And so it's a pretty substantial drop quickly. That's the only place that you really feel a substantial drop. But once you get through that part that switches trails, you do get back into a 
pretty good downhill. So it's not like you run the first 20 miles downhill and then it's flat the rest of the way. Like, it's pretty gradual. Well, the last mile is fairly flat. You ran that backward with me. But that S-curve right there is what I remember from a couple of years ago was a little bit of a shock to the system. Yeah, mm-hmm. especially if you're not expecting it because I wasn't expecting anything. Like, I thought it was going to be the same way the whole time. So it did throw me off kilter a little bit. But it only lasts, what, a mile across the S-curve? So it's not I that long. Was, I, think it was that I thought it was really short. Yeah, yeah, it was maybe that real, well, real steep is relative. It wasn't like Mount Rebel steep. <laughs> like, that was ridiculous. But it was steep enough that you you knew the quads were trashed if, if the quads were trashed. <laughs> I liked that it wasn't curvy. Too. I mean, when you all, when most people think about a trail race, it's. I mean, I know it's not a trail race, but it almost is a a, a trail like base, but it's not windy. Windy. It's a railroad track, right? It used to be. Yes. It was. So you could almost see downhill for a mile, at in some spots. So. It's kind of like Vegas. You think, oh, how long <laughs> are we ever going to get down, you know, to this turn or whatever. But I kind of like that. I like seeing straight downhill. It's also another mental game for me, but uh, that's just me personally. And you could see runners, too. Yes. You know, so yeah. that would maybe give you a little boost to try to catch somebody. So speaking of the fact that this used to be a railroad track, what do you all think of when you hear the term Railroad trestle. I think of it as a bridge that trains used to go over. And I think you would be right. And so, as the Sherpa and cheerleader, I mapped out my fan plan. And my first stop was the Hanson Creek Railroad trestle, which I found out after off-roading in my Chevy Malibu for three miles to get to this location. And by your Chevy Malibu, you mean the rental car Thrifties. companies? Yeah. Chevy Malibu. When Google told me I was there and I didn't see any signs of the Iron Horse Trail, I turned around and then I realized a hundred feet or more up in the air was the railroad trestle Mm. that the runners would be going across, but Mm -hmm. there was no way I was going to be able to spectate from that location. Mm -hmm. So if you're planning your fan plan for this race, don't bother going to the Hanson Creek Railroad trestle. Mm. Yeah, and I want to get to your fan plan really quick, really soon. But I'll do my race recap. I'm just going to be very, very going to be very short. First of all, I was delighted to get through the tunnel without incident and on pace. And I just the last time I did it, I didn't think I would ever do the race again because I was so dizzy coming out of the tunnel. Mm-hmm. But today, like Suzanne was right in front of me. Lee was right beside me, and I mean, we just, and it didn't seem like there were the crazy people trying to push past us this year. But you year. also had Don Dean's bright belt. I, I think, think that, that made the... Tremendously for you. I agree. Lighting the path up. Last year, we had little handheld, or not last year, in 2019, we had little handheld flashlights, mm-hmm. and we were with a pace group, and so if anybody wanted to pass us, they had to, you know rough us up to get past it so I was delighted to get out of the tunnel and on pace and I felt great 
all the way to mile 18 where I could tell my pace was slowing to about 9.30. I checked my breathing like I was still easily in a 3-2-4-3 breathing pattern. So I know I was trained for the race. My cardio was great, but I could tell my quads <laughs> were going to be uncooperative. But I just uh, kept going. And it's funny because this really just tells you how important the later part of the race is. Like at mile 18, Suzanne and I are together. And at the finish, she probably came in a good 12 minutes before I did. I mean, I just literally couldn't pick up my legs. <laughs> and you saw me at the end. So I, I, that last, the last .47, I was sprinting. And it was my slowest point four seven of the entire race. So your legs were just barely coming off the ground. I could, yeah, but, I could. But you were moving. Uh, yeah, but and I didn't walk. There were a couple times I slowed and took a couple walk steps because around mile fourteen, whatever, I started dumping water over my head, mm-hmm. just using some of Dean's heat mitigation strategies that he's been on me about. I never dipped into the ice bucket because it looked pretty, it looked like a lot of people have been dipping into the ice bucket and I was a little afraid of the ice bucket, but. It's not like you're going to put it in your mouth. Yeah. Not, yeah. Anyway, I didn't dip into the ice bucket. Ice is great though. Yeah. So with two miles left, this lady and a man, and she's probably in her thirties and a guy that she was running with said, we have been chasing you down for five something miles I won't say the word that she used she goes you're too close to quit now come on so again my cardio felt great I'm like fine I'll just tuck in behind her and go yep nope (laughs) so really with two miles left I had enough time where if I could settle back into marathon pace I would have Boston qualified but the legs were not to moving which is fine I totally enjoyed it Felt like Lee had a much better day today than he did in Mesa, so I was super excited that I had just turned around, and I think my time was 4.08, and I hadn't been able to finish shooting any time there. He came, and I was super excited about that, and of course, I was just ecstatic. Suzanne was already cheering a little ways before the finish line by the time I finished, and she looked great, so I just couldn't be more pleased. Sometimes it's, well, most of the time, I'm more excited about other people's success, and just take what God gave me today, and Lee says, sometimes the bear eats you, and sometimes you eat the bear, and I really don't feel like I ate the bear or the bear ate me today. I just feel like I ran my race and took what I was given, but Suzanne, she pretty much ate the bear. Dropped <laughs> <laughs> it. Well, everybody did great. Yep. It was a good day. Um, beautiful course, well organized. We're just thankful to be able to participate yep and uh i would like to hear a little bit more about your fan plan in case someone wants to go to this race and they're bringing along a sherpa maybe you already suggested they do not do right so studying google maps and the course map i've really only come up with three really good places to spectate the first is way out at mile 11 that's the mcclellan butte trailhead and you park and then you hike up a trail for a little ways but that was a good spot and then the next spot is uh, a little bit tricky to explain it's the palaus to cascades trail homestead valley trailhead but the way you get to it 
is as you're heading on I-90 west from McClellan or from the start line, you get off at the Alali exit onto Homestead Valley Road, and that road weaves around maybe three miles or so, and you're almost back to a place where you can get on I-90 again, but there's a road off to the left where you can get to the trailhead, and that's the surprise location that Suzanne was talking about, somewhere between 16 and 17 miles in. Uh, and the reason why you have to get off early is because the interstate doesn't have the on-ramps and exits in both directions right there. So I do have something to say. Yes. <laughs> I know Suzanne's so surprised by that. Uh, I was so excited to see you between mile 16 and 17 because my hydration was empty. But I quickly noticed you didn't have the bottle with you. <laughs> but I... It, it was not your error at all. I told you I wouldn't need the second one till 21. So, but I mean, I'm super excited to see you anyway, just because you're my loving husband and amazing Sherpa. I did better as a Sherpa this time than I did in Mesa. <laughs> yeah, because we'll Mesa, just leave it at that. In Mesa, you're like, huh? oh, yeah. Yeah, we're over that. Oh, yeah. You did great today. So, the third spectator spot was re- real close to that S curve location around mile 21 and that's the rattlesnake ledge trailhead which was a super busy location today the parking lot was packed and myself and many other cars were parked where it says only for boat trailers to park there weren't any boat trailers in the parking lot and there were several available spots when i double parked in that parking lot but Apparently, there's Rattlesnake Lake right there, and with the heat wave going on, people are taking advantage of it. But that was a good location to watch as well, and in 2019, I was able to leave Rattlesnake Ledge Trailhead and stop several times along the road because the path goes parallel to the road, but this time, they had cones all along anywhere that was accessible to the trail so there's no place to get off the road so i headed to the finish line yeah and it was so really there were four spots like when you saw us that third time around mile 21 since you didn't navigate and jump out of the car a lot you were able to have plenty of time to get to the finish line yes parking at the finish line was challenging because they were not allowing parking on both sides of Mm -hmm. the road but it worked out okay yeah, and it was in on the website saying you could not park along that road, and they had another road that was a block over that they were encouraging people to park there. Yeah, and on that road, there were a lot of signs saying no parking. Okay. And I'm pretty sure a homeowner was standing out in the street making sure people didn't park illegally near his residence. Because mm-hmm. I did a turnabout. I believe it was in their driveway as they were chasing somebody else away on the other side of the street. They were giving me the evil eye as I was turning around, but I, got, I turned around and found a better spot. Another thing that was different, in which it didn't affect us because both times we've raced it, you drove us to the start. But in 2019, you caught a shuttle near the finish line, parked at a like a strip mall near pretty near the finish line and you were shuttled to the start. Well, today 
if you needed, you, you actually drove out to the start and parked there. And then from the finish, if you needed to, they would shuttle you back to the finish. I didn't see any shuttles. I don't know if you some did. school buses. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think they were down. I didn't see the... They were down past the finish. I didn't see the honey pots either at the finish line. But I think it was all on a trail down past the finish. And I believe that's where the school buses were. If you recall, that's where we met last time and they had posters with uh, BQ'd and we, me and you, Bethany, had, uh, we took pictures with uh, Jennifer and... And Vicki. Yeah. Another couple of amazing athletes. Yeah. So that backdrop was there. I didn't see any of the signs. Oh. We didn't stick around very long once everyone was finished. We didn't. Well, and when we finished three years ago, it was in the upper 60s and felt great. Mm-hmm. And we finished today and it was like, find me air that I can breathe. <laughs> it was really, it was really toasty by the finish. All right. Well, I guess that about wraps up the recap for the Jack and Jill Downhill Marathon 2022. It's been a busy day. Have you had a chance to think about a scripture for today's podcast? I was reading Isaiah 50. 53 or 54 and the scripture that's quoted in the sound of music was in there do y'all remember that scripture Mm -hmm. when when god closes a door somebody opens a window (laughs) i don't think that's a scripture i don't think that's a scripture (laughs) that's what comes to mind when it's a scripture that the nun says as the family are escaping and they're going to go over top the mountain I can't believe I don't know this because how many times did we watch this with Bethany when she was three? It's actually Isaiah 52, verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Well, you know, actually, I'm not sure that is in the sound of music. But it's a good scripture. At RYR Endurance Team, we specialize in customized coaching. What is customized coaching? It's more than a training plan. It's a relationship. It's a partnership. So what are your goals? What are you training for? Contact us at rycoach at gmail.com or visit us on our website, rycenduranceteam.com. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening.